Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your hostess, Cheryl Sitz. It's my intention in this show that we demystify holistic wellness and raise our consciousness together one practitioner at a time. You're going to meet some of the amazing people that I've encountered on my journey, and you'll notice that their stories are a lot like ours. There are so many ways that we can heal ourselves and our planet, so enjoy learning about all the possibilities, and then you can reach out to anyone that you feel resonates for you. I'd love it if you'd reach out to me as well, and you can do that on my website, where you'll also find all the other episodes of this podcast, www.journeyofpossibilities.com. Also, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and never miss a show. If you do that, also do me a favor, please, and rate us, because we want other people, listeners and guests, to find our podcast. So please rate us, and thanks for doing that. We'll introduce today's guest right after this from our sponsors. Hi, this is Mario with Tech Life Balance, and I've been in the IT field for about 20 years. I have a big range of experience. I've worked with PCs, I've worked with servers, I've done online marketing strategies, I do websites, I even build online communities and help produce the podcast that you're listening to right now. I've actually been involved in IT so much that I got lost in all the technology and technology was taking over me. And I'm not saying to unplug or anything like that. What I'm saying is find a balance. I know I did. It took a traumatic event for me to learn that capability. And it it was a challenge. And there are obstacles and there's things you run into that sometimes you don't realize you're even doing. So I designed a program to help you do that by looking at all your technologies and just helping you embrace it in a way that it's smoothed into your life. And I like to say that we log in, log out, and break free so we can have life. Contact us at techlifebalance.net and let us know what we can help you with. Enjoy the podcast. Ladies, when I'm not doing this podcast, what I really enjoy doing is working in private sessions with you. I love helping awakening women, and that awakening can be galactic, spiritual. We're all in it together, and I love helping you if you feel like you're getting stuck or something's holding you back and you're not real clear what that is. I'm kind of a portal for possibilities, too, so together we can explore what's possible for you and how to get there from here. We can work remotely by phone or Skype with our spirit guides and angels using things like divination cards, dowsing and channeling. Together we'll get clarity and insight on exactly what's holding you back and how you can move forward now. Live, we can also incorporate Reiki. I love doing Reiki because it opens blocked pathways for physical release and healing. It's all about helping you live a joyful, awakened, authentic life naturally. Contact me anytime at journeyofpossibilities.com. It's really exciting to watch this show grow, and we've now got thousands of listeners from the Texas Gulf Coast and around the world. It's a perfect opportunity for you to be a sponsor. Your advertisement will be heard every time the podcast is played, and it'll be a permanent part of the episode. Why not be a sponsor? Contact us at www.journeyofpossibilities.com. Today's guest on Exploring Possibilities is Scott S. Smith, who is the author of God Reconsidered, Searching for Truth in the Battle Between Atheism and Religion. Scott carries on the conversation with readers on his website, which is www.godreconsidered.com. 
He's a former contributor to Fate Magazine, who's written extensively about evidence of animal and human afterlife, UFOs, metaphysics, psychics, and religion. However, his freelance journalism career now mostly concentrates on interviewing famous people to understand how they achieved success. Also joining on the call today, instead of being in the background doing all his production work, Mario Rosales is with us live. So, Scott, welcome. Hey, Cheryl and Mario. I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you for being here. I, we really are looking forward to this discussion for sure. Yes, we are. So I kind of thought we might kick it off by me asking you, you mentioned to me previously that your journey's really been about looking for your best description for the meaning of life and the spiritual order of the universe. And that's pretty vast. You want to tell me kind of what that means to you? Well, at the uh, risk of taking up the entire uh, time talking about the details of that. I'll give you kind of the highlights and feel free to jump in or drill in as needed. But the essence of it is this. I grew up in a very unusual household religiously. Um, I had a Mormon family, and Mormonism is a highly misunderstood religion. It's very esoteric, which is why evangelical Christians tend to protest at temple openings and stuff. Uh, the essence of Mormonism is the belief that human beings have the ability to become like God, and that has a lot of implications. And so I grew up with this family that was very open, as Mormonism is supposed to be, to other truths and other religions. Uh, there's nothing wrong with attending other faiths. So uh, I had this conviction that I was in the true religion, but there were other religions that had things to teach me. Now, I read Fate magazine, the uh, infamous, if you will, magazine about the supernatural, when I was uh, 16, and it began to open up my mind, and I had a spiritual crisis at 17 when I discovered animal suffering, which I knew nothing about, and I thought... If Mormonism is true, it must say something about this. I'd never heard anything about it. And the result of that was a book that I eventually wrote called Animals and the Gospel, because I found out Mormons didn't know anything about this. Now, I went on a Mormon mission, like a lot of uh, young people, went to Germany, uh, had a very interesting life spiritually. But in the late 80s, I discovered the UFO phenomenon and um, I started to, uh, I had a mystical experience that I didn't understand, which led me later to Gnosticism, which I can explain. But the essence of it was that um, I, re I had an insight out of that mystical experience that made me believe that most mainstream religions of any type, East and West, are fundamentally flawed in their understanding of the purpose of life or why we're here, that sort of thing. And I went on a journey literally around the world to India, Egypt, every place you can think of. I was in Saudi Arabia uh, investigating other religious points of view. And the net result of my conclusion about what I think is true is what God Reconsidered is about. And so I'm sharing it with readers who are on their own spiritual journey and would like to benefit from others' experiences. I did hear you right. You said East and West philosophy. Yes. You're... In other words, I don't simply go... You know, a lot of uh, ex-Christians, Jews, uh, and Muslims will say, well, 
you know, Buddhism and Hinduism, you know, those are at least better. I didn't find that to be the case. I became disillusioned with all the mainstream religions for reasons I describe in the book. What was your experience that led you to believe that everything was flawed? If I might just ask a little glimpse of that. Yeah. The essence of it was this. Um, I had been speaking at various religious conferences for kind of open-minded Mormons on a number of topics. And one of the things I had been studying to understand how it related to religion was the UFO phenomenon and specifically abductions. And it created a tremendous anxiety because it seemed to be something that religions didn't have a good explanation for. It was like these ETs or whatever they are are coming in, they're abducting mortals, and they're not being held accountable by God or any other supernatural power. And it became a crisis point for me, and it was kind of in that tremendous anvil and hammer of, of cognitive dissonance that this spiritual experience just happened to me. Uh, and there were some other circumstances, but the essence of it was that I realized that all religions teach the idea that God created the world and he sent us here to learn lessons. And uh, it's a good thing we're here and we're being tested. And this mystical experience gave me uh, an understanding that that was the big lie. Okay, so there is a God or there is no God in what you're talking about? It's, it's... Well, no, there is a God. What Gnosticism teaches, which was a Christian, an originally a Christian uh, heresy that was a rival to Catholicism, for supremacy in the first centuries of Christianity, what it taught is that the Creator God is a fallen entity, kind of like you would think of Lucifer in the Bible. It talked about the, you know, the fallen angels and so forth. That kind of entity who came out of a cosmic accident and believed he was God and created the world and essentially stole the soul stuff, or what creates the animation of the body, and kind of for egotistical reasons and what you might say evil reasons, created the world, and and that this is not the place where we're really supposed to be. Uh, our home is in the heavens, and the, the high God, or the uh, God above God, if you will, not the creator God, is the true God. Now, there are also angels and uh, kind of demons, if you will. It's a kind of shamanic universe. And you can make contact through prayer and ritual with these angels, and you can pray to God and to Jesus as, a, as an enlightener. So it's a, a, a heterodox Christianity that repudiates the Old Testament and says that Jehovah is this creator God and that he's actually evil. In your search, looking through all of this data and testing all of this out and seeing what resonated and what didn't and how you went down this path, 
what did you arrive at for who created this multiverse, if you believe that's what we're in, and all of these entities and beings, the ones that abduct us and the ones that are here? Is it a different God? Or is that, are, are people saying that, that's, that, that they are outside of the rules that we live on as humans here? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> and I will give you um, a, a, a short opinion about it. Um, I have a little more speculation in the book, but um, it, it's pretty clear now that I've kind of sorted through all the competing theories and stuff, that God, as we generally conceive God, is the high God, is similar to what uh, the deists propose, which is an impersonal God. uh, This is what kind of a lot of the pioneers of quantum physics believe, that the kind of the order that we see in the universe comes from this benevolent God, but uh, down here in the nitty-gritty of the universe, uh, there are, as shamans would say, hostile spirits, uh, benevolent spirits that need us well, and and sometimes uh, lost spirits, spirits who could go either way. So, as a rule, what you want to do without the theology is you want to pray and you want to go through spiritual and religious rituals like meditation or the Mass, and Gnostics have the Eucharist, just like other Christians. And um, so you can do whatever you find works for you, maybe pray to the ancestors even, or what I call the Holy Dead, those friends and mentors who would mean you well, and ask for blessings, be grateful for help, and so there's a way to kind of bring blessings into your life and have a better thing. Now, with regard to the abduction phenomenon, um, it's my belief that it's a mix of some, perhaps, extraterrestrials who know better than to deal with us because we're, we're not the most enlightened civilization. Um, and uh, a lot of it is supernatural. And I regard the entities who are generally involved in this abduction thing to be demonic. And, uh, but there are limitations. I mean, obviously, every, very few people, relatively speaking, are abducted. Um, but the reason I think, and, and God, the impersonal God and the angels and Jesus, if you will, we're in kind of a Manichaean universe, as I see it. The Manichees were a type of Gnostic who weren't directly Christian. They believed Jesus was a saint and became a global religion. And uh, the, I think the last Manichaeans were in China around 900 or so. And, um, and what they posit is that the, the good and evil forces in the universe are, are kind of in balance, if you will. The, the bad guys can't completely overrun everything, and the good guys haven't fully prevailed, which is a factor in why there are evil things that are allowed in the universe. It's the nature of nature, if you will. And the, um, the Mormons posited the notion that our consciousness uh, is inherent in the nature of reality, so the spirit stuff, what animates our body, um, this could be co-opted 
by science, by um, demons even. So it's not like we, we don't believe that, that the statement in the Bible that God created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested and said, it's good, everything's fine. I think when you look at it with open eyes, you realize that the history of disease, the lack of anesthesia, uh, you know, the, the terrible ignorance about germs, for example, uh, throughout most of human history uh, suggests that the world is not good and not created by a good God. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit for me to explain. So I believe, like, we're all gods, and we're all connected to this bigger, we're all one is what we hear all the time. And that, that's kind of my belief in some sense. It, it sounds like you're saying something similar, correct? It's like it, everybody is together, but yet there is different... We all have a soul. Okay. And we're connected in the sense that we have that divine stuff as part of our makeup. You know, we have a mental capacity, and we've got biological capacity... And there is a divine element uh, in every human being, and apparently in a lot of the higher animals, because I've written a couple of books about that subject as well. And the idea is to be, is to kind of do whatever you can to connect that higher self with the higher entities and with God. And we say that, that enlightenment will uh, give you a sense of inner peace and a connection with other people, and then you'll behave yourself, you'll treat other people well, you'll treat all living things as kindly as possible within your cultural frame of reference. And we definitely believe that people have uh, divine potential, the potential to godhood, essentially, but it's not in this dimension. You know, it would be after death. So you don't believe that we are trying to evolve to become more godlike in in our incarnation. You believe that's something that happens after we leave? Now that's a very interesting question for this reason. The Gnostics, a little bit like the Buddha, sometimes hesitated to speculate about metaphysics. But uh, and so some of them believed in reincarnation and some didn't. It's not a dogma. I am officially a skeptic about reincarnation for reasons that I go into in the book, but um, there's two different kinds of reincarnation. Most Americans don't understand it. Number one is, um, what we think of in the West as reincarnation is this notion that we keep becoming embodied in order to make progress. And the problem with that is that human history proves that that doesn't work. I mean, if you what happens is once you understand how dysfunctional most people are, uh, what reincarnation would have produced throughout history is being born into third world countries where you die as an infant, basically, until fairly recently. And uh, nobody in India today that I ever talked to when I was there would say that India today is more enlightened than it was, let's say, thousands of years ago. So reincarnation as popularly conceived doesn't actually seem to work that way. It would seem that if people do come back, it's because of an attachment to the flesh. 
rather than karma. Well, I know personally, for me, it was a theory until I had experiences that led me to believe that I've been here before. I went to places I've never been, and I knew things about the places I couldn't have possibly known, took off in directions and said what was ahead, and sure enough, there it was. I I felt with all my being, I'd been there before. South America, uh, Central America, really interesting, even around here, closer to home. So for me, it's been more of an actual experiencing that I've been here before than it is whether it's a theory or not. But it, it isn't like I've been right here before. Like, I don't think I've been born in Texas before or born in California before. So do you not think that throughout time we could have traversed the planet and had different experiences? Is that not part of what you believe? Well, okay. Without bursting anybody's bubble. Um, <laughs> you probably can't help it. <laughs> Let me just say this. First of all, I'm not denying that some people might have been reincarnated, but there are other reasons why people can have memories of other lives. Uh, when you get into the parapsychology, I, the way I launched my career in, in the supernatural area was I did a, a, inter- a very, very extensive interview with Scott Rogo, R-O-G-O, who wrote a book called The Search for Yesterday, in which he gets into the nitty-gritty of the evidence of past lives. And as he pointed out, and this was my first publication in Fate magazine in in, uh, 1990, there are lots of ways memories can be implanted in people. They can pick it up at the time of birth. Uh, Spirit entities can influence you. But the reality is, you know, most people on the planet don't have those memories. So it would have to be an individual thing to investigate and see. But what I'm saying is that if you look at the course of humanity in general, there hasn't been spiritual progress. And and you can start with ground zero in India, because nobody would say that India today is more spiritual than it was at the time of the Buddha, for example. But I'm not saying reincarnation never happens. And, and again, the Gnostics are divided on this. Thank you for, for clarifying that. And I really hadn't considered that entities could come and bring those memories. So that was a cool addition for me to take away from that. I love what you just said. I agree with Cheryl about the... I had, ne- had not thought about like when entities would come into you when you're born and give you those memories. That, that's fascinating theory that that it does make a lot of sense that would happen in your book can you tell us a little bit more about how is it divided or do you take us in a route yeah Uh, very good question i that deserves a little explaining so that um, people don't be scared off that i'm (laughs) going to uh, disillusion them about everything actually i'll tell you what's interesting what got me on this whole path wasn't my um, point of view about traditional religions. It was my conflicts with the hardcore skeptics of the Skeptic Society and the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. They're the publishers of the Skeptical Inquirer and Skeptics Magazine. For many, many years, I have been doing battle with them because uh, they are not true skeptics. They are hardcore militant uh, atheists of the materialist variety, which means they don't believe there's any supernatural. So they are very, very rigid. And in the first three chapters of the book, I go through the scientific evidence for ESP, which they deny, UFOs, which of course they think is completely crazy, and the afterlife. And 
where I come down on the side of every religious person, as I say, uh, people may differ on what happens after death, uh, but there's plenty of pretty hardcore evidence that we survive death. So those are three chapters. I hammer the skeptic's position. They are as zealous as any fundamentalist when it comes to their religion, which happens to be atheistic materialism. I mean, they are almost comically close-minded about things. And so I give some pretty amusing examples. So that's the first three chapters. Then I get into the question of, um, is the nature of history and life evidence of a benevolent God? Is there evidence of free will, that we have free will to do good or evil and prove ourselves in this life? And, and it's mixed, to tell you the truth. And um, I kind of go into some other big questions about um, the kind of the, the, the basic issues of trying to question our place in the universe, and then I go through a section where I look at all the different religious traditions, and it surprises a lot of people that I'm quite critical of Buddhism. I kind of pick on them, in part because I think Americans misunderstand it, I think Buddhists misunderstand Buddhism, and uh, I have problems with some of its claims. And then in the last few chapters, I get into... Uh, what would be the alternative? So I kind of go through a checklist of uh, what I think has shown to be real about the universe, the metaphysics, uh, and what kind of conclusions um, an objective observer might draw. And then I explain why I ended up becoming a Gnostic Christian. And there actually is a Gnostic Christian church. Actually, there's a bunch of them, because Gnostics tend to be anarchic. But um, And I explain my reasons for it, and then I give people kind of a little primer on the background of Gnosticism and what it believes. It sounds like a really interesting book, and I really can't tell you if I'm more driven to ask you about free will or how you pick on the Buddhists, because I find both of those topics really fascinating right now. I I can tell you right now, the free will one is a tough thing to uh, discuss, because it's very complicated, and there is more research coming out all the time, which basically says we have some free will, but genetics and environment do predetermine many of our uh, actions to a great surprise. I mean, we feel like we have free will and we should act accordingly, but it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Wow. So you you kind of fall on the line that, that there's a whole lot more that's predetermined for us than that, that we're almost I, like I the puppets? People, <laughs> I think people don't realize that um, if you read Oprah's favorite uh, marriage counselor, uh, Harville Hendricks, he wrote a book called Getting the Love You Want. And he explains there that in the early months of life, Many of the things that we come to believe, our basic personalities, get set by our families and the earliest influence, and it is below your conscious level. That's why psychotherapy is so important. And incidentally, Carl Jung was a Gnostic. He had his own mystical experience, and that was kind of the basis for his psychology. But I went through uh, eight years of Jungian and Neo-Freudian therapy to understand why I was doing self-destructive things. 
where most of it, the smarter people are, the more likely they are to have blinders to their weaknesses and why they do the things they do because they think they're right about everything. So, you know, woe to those who are too bright. <laughs> what do you think was the biggest surprise that you had doing all that you've done in research to put this book together? What do you remember just being floored by? Anything in particular stand out? Uh, well, I would I would say a few things. Number one is how blind everybody is to how um, miserable uh, human history has been because Americans in particular don't know anything, even about their own history. And I write about history. I have a column in Investors Business Daily about famous people past and present. So I have a pretty good handle on how ignorant Americans are. And, you know, we don't know much that happened before the 20th century. We don't know much about disease and infant mortality, things like that. So that was one big kind of shocker to quantify the ignorance, if you will. The second thing is um, the contradictions in the New Testament were something that were a big surprise to me, because I was a missionary, and I kind of got handed down a traditional idea about the four Gospels and how harmonious they are. And uh, I was really kind of shocked to discover uh, Bart Ehrman's book, Jesus Interrupted, and he goes through methodically and shows you that the four Gospels completely contradict each other about the life of Jesus. I mean, it's almost comical in a tragic way, and yet it's not obvious to most Christians because we've all been told. It's kind of like those nativity things we have on Christmas where, you know, the wise men and the shepherds are in the manger there together, you know, and this and the stars overhead, you know, they kind of, you get this synthesized version of the, the Gospels, and you would think that would be obvious with everybody reading the Bible, but nobody notices that they really contradict each other about everything from his birth to the resurrection. Huh. This is very fascinating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I Interesting have to repeat conversation. that again. <laughs> I'm a big believer in energy work. So mm-hmm. where does mm-hmm. that fit in into the into the belief system? The uh, no, uh, the Gnostic? The Gnostic, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you'll be gratified to know that my <laughs> son is an energy worker, and he is working on his master's in philosophy, and he vetted the book for philosophical consistency. He is one of the greatest philosophy geniuses at all time, and I have that, uh, the word on that from the U.S. Air Force, which did a test on him once, because he works for uh, the Air Force Reserve, Intelli- I mean the Army, excuse me, intelligence. And uh, he went through the book and, you know, made sure that it was made philosophic sense and uh, he he does Reiki work in Phoenix, where he lives. So, yeah, it's compatible. I mean, we believe we believe, for example, that when you that psychics have said what I think are the valid type of psychics have said that where the Eucharist is performed, even in a Catholic church, that ceremony, any religious ceremony, probably, but I can speak specifically about the Mass. Uh, that there is a visible and sensible energy rise in that kind of psychic energy. So it makes perfect sense that Reiki or any other energy work can be used to improve people's health. And, and I know a lot about holistic health. I have a background in that field. 
So where do you believe, do you believe these are just innate human gifts? Do you believe this is something that's been gifted to us from the cosmos? Where do you think this energy work that we channel, do you think it's just a part of our humanity that we're just waking up more and more to now, or that is, we're remembering from times past? What do you feel about all that? Well, I'll give you an an amusing example in the mundane world. There's a new type of energy machine out called the life vessel. And there are probably about 10 of these clinics throughout the world, most of them here in the U.S. It's been approved by the FDA. And it's based on traditional Chinese medicine, Asian medicine, about the energy lines. And, and in fact, there's, there's a very, very good book out um, called Energy Medicine, I think, which goes into the science behind it. And even the AMA had to admit some years ago when they did some experiments <clears throat> on traditional Asian medicine that it didn't make sense from the Western standpoint, but things like acupuncture worked. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a kind of, I wouldn't call it God-given, I would just say our, our spirit natures, the soul, if you will, and the body as they're linked together are related by this energy system. I mean, ultimately, you could say that the spirit is energy. Right. So on the other part, you said you pick a lot on the Eastern philosophies. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you see reincarnation very different. And uh, in Hinduism, there's like classes. And when you come back into a certain class, then yeah. you, you're migrating to the next class. So yeah. in yours, do you come back or what does your soul go? What's your next level like okay. Christianity, you so, go to heaven or hell. and Yeah, yeah. So what, what the Gnostics would say is something along this line. Um, first of all, we have to understand that Hindus and Buddhists don't have the same concept of reincarnation. Correct. Uh, the, Buddha, the Buddha actually taught very specifically, and most Buddhas ignore this, uh, he taught that there is no soul. According to Ken Wilbur, who's probably the greatest of the and most respected of the Eastern scholars, uh, he said this: there's just there's no personality, there's no memory that reincarnates. It is just a karmic collection of kind of magnetized karma that goes from life to life. So you can rule out memory in real in in what the Buddhism said, but still popular Buddhism has a Hindu-like idea. Now in Hinduism. I have a great deal of respect for mainstream Hinduism. I'm close to the Hare Krishnas. They represent mainstream Hinduism in India. And and what they would say is that, you know, you're not necessarily coming back to go from class to class. I mean, it's kind of out of your control. You do the best you can to improve your karma, you know, behave yourself and treat others well and all that stuff. And then what happens after death, you know, that's up to the gods and so forth. They don't get too hung up about the details. And they certainly don't think you're necessarily going to, you know, come back with in a more enlightened opportunity or, or you know, better material circumstances. Uh, it's a practical approach, which I have nothing against. What I picked on with Hinduism was less reincarnation than Advaita Vedanta, which basically says we don't exist. 
they only believe in Brahman, the great Brahman who is everything. And we are a schizoid fantasy of Brahman. We have no entity, individual experience. We're, we're not real. So I always say, if we're not real, why are we worrying about it? Brahman's going to sort that out over time. There's no reason for you to, you know, do yoga or, you know, <laughs> temple rituals or anything else if you're non-existent, you know. But um, <clears throat> I kind of was critical of Buddhism and Hinduism because they're the fashionable religions. So if one believes in reincarnation, I would just say, look at <laughs> if there's such a mechanism uh, it would probably operate without karma. The greatest of the scholars who translated the Nagamati texts, um, Gilles Quispel, uh, said that he was, he was, he said, you know, reincarnation might happen, but the problem is our free will, each individual's free will would would conflict, or their karma would conflict with everybody else's karma. It, it's not an easy mesh. So that if you are supposed to come back and be punished for a bad deed, uh, you're going to. Ha- there's all kinds of things that have to come into play for the universe to align for that. So I said, forget about karma. Uh, if there's reincarnation, it has to do with attachment to worldly things. And but most, I think most Gnostics would say that whether you believe in reincarnation or not, eventually, um, when you're in the afterlife, uh, you, are, you stay there. You're, you're out of the grasp of the, the worldly powers, the demons, if you will, what we call the demiurge. And, uh, and it's a glorious place in the afterlife, and uh, exactly what happens after that is a matter of speculation. You have clearly done a lot of research on this. It's interesting. I could spend a lot of time going through your book. There's a lot of content here. And I sometimes Mario and I are giving each other these glances like there's a lot going on here. This would take a while to sift through. I guess my overarching question to kind of step back on this, because I know we're coming toward the end of the show now, is is what was your greatest hope in putting this work out into the world? Did you have a goal, an objective? Thanks for asking. I went through a lot of suffering for 20 years or so, um, coming from a somewhat traditional Christian background, and then going through this internal journey and an external journey to a lot of other countries and investigating other religions. And I found a great deal of inner peace in sorting things out. So I, I have a forewarning at the front of the book instead of a a foreword, my hope is that people who are seekers, who are not completely satisfied with their spiritual path, will read what my experience and conclusions were and find that helpful in designing their own future spiritual path. And uh, it was really a great privilege to write this and kind of go through rigorously thinking about all these you know, philosophic issues and trying to come up with an explanation for how the world, how the universe, how the cosmos, spiritual and material operates, and uh, give people a sense that there is a good God, and also that there are demonic uh, influences, and there's a way to deal with all that, and and the importance of leading a spiritual life to having inner peace. That... Is definitely a great way to present that information. I'm I'm a true believer, and I love knowledge. And 
just hearing how in depth you went in with a lot of those details, I'm going to get that book and just go page by page slowly because it sounds like it's one of those things that I'm going to have to read it, sit with it for a while, and then take it from there. Take it one bite at a time, right? Yep. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, listen, uh, I, I emailed Cheryl uh, a, a copy of the book, and so she can share that. It's appended on there in Nook and Kindle version. We don't have a real-world version yet, so <laughs> uh, I don't read Kindle much myself. So, But you can have fun with that. And uh, if you ever need a substitute guest, call me, because obviously I'm talkative. <laughs> Yes, you are. Scott, I want to ask you, first, I want to say the name of the book again is God Reconsidered, Searching for Truth in the Battle Between Atheism and Religion. The conversation will go on well beyond this podcast on godreconsidered.com. So you can definitely learn more there. Scott, we always ask guests at the end, is there a parting thought that you'd like to leave with our guests? I think that people should know that it is possible to come to a truth about the meaning of life that you can embrace. And it's going to be a different answer for everybody. And the book is about what I found, and people will agree or disagree with parts of that. And, uh, you know, I do think you have to lead a spiritual life to be sane. I mean, this is a crazy world, and we need all the help we can get from angels or otherwise. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love what you just said. Everybody will come up with their own answer. So thank you for fueling the fire for us to be able to find our truth. That's a wonderful gift. I appreciate the opportunity. Would you like to be a guest on a future episode of Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note, info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Sitz inviting you to joyful, awakened, authentic living naturally.